No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Okay, everybody, welcome to Small Council Radio. Uh, this is Brett. I'm trying the hosting thing for like the actual first time. So if I screwed something up at the show or if something's going wrong, you'll just have to forgive me because I'm not super tech savvy. But I'm excited. I have with me Tom Tyler. Um, his handle on Discord is Winners Coming. I'm sure a lot of people that mess around on Discord, particularly in the Sunday Slaughter or the NRG uh, channels, are pretty familiar with Tom, maybe played a game with him. Uh, he's a very, very good player, and uh, he plays just about everything, but we, we have him on today because he just participated in a GT, and uh, I'm going to butcher the name. He's told me how to pronounce it three times, but I, it's Kim, 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 yeah, just say Kim it. Kim 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 <laughs> that GT. So um, pulling up the, the event. On stats, just to for a little bit of reference, uh, the average player rating in the event was 1588, which is pretty good. Uh, and then there was actually looks like every faction was representative. So you had was rep- represented. Wow. Um, you had 30% free folk. Then you had 10% Night's Watch, 10% neutrals, 10% Stark, 10% Lannister, 5% Greyjoy, 15% Arian, 10%. Baratheon. I think this is one of the first times that I've seen such a good and even spread. The 30% free folk is a little bit abnormal. I'm not overly surprised by that. Uh, what did you make of this split, Tom? Yeah, I was really pleased. Like Everyone but Greyjoy's had more than one player playing it, so there was best in faction awards and stuff like that, so it meant that um, there was competition for all of the, all of the places. Um, 30% is a bit high for free folk, but I think a lot of people play free folk in the UK. Like they always have done whenever you've gone to tournaments, there have been a lot of free folk players, even back in the early days when free folk weren't considered to be particularly good. Um, so I'm not, I'm not surprised that it was that high, especially if they probably have the best commander at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it might've been nice if there were a couple of free folk players in a one more Greyjoy player, but I, overall I think it was a really good balance and I've played a lot of different factions throughout the, the competition and that's that's really what you want. Okay, good deal. So, looks like there were 20 players entered overall. So, just kind of, let's let's just start from the, from the very top. Um, what inspired you to run neutrals? I know, having talked to you, you know, via PMs and Kind of tracking some of your games, you've you've been dabbing a little bit in Night's Watch, which Night's Watch is considered a powerhouse. It's it's hard to debate that they're definitely one of the factions. They're maybe a little bit boring, and they're almost certainly one-dimensional. So, is was that a factor? You just felt like running neutrals. I mean, what made you decide to play neutrals instead of Night's Watch or Free Folk or something that I know that you've had your hand in this version um, of the game? So when 2021 dropped, I was really annoyed with 
what they'd done to neutrals. Like, it just didn't feel like they were in a good place at all. And I think that was partly me as a player having a really good deck and then moving to something that was a lot more mediocre or at least not as obviously as strong. Um, and then you also had things like Ossal, Crossbows, which was just absolutely impossible to um, play against. So I sort of felt like there wasn't any scope for me to play neutrals well at that time. So I started looking elsewhere. So I played a lot of Targs um, at the start of 2021. Um, and I really enjoyed playing them. And when the new year hit, I was thought, you know what I want to do. I've got all the factions anyway. They're all painted up. What I really want is to play every faction at least once um, in a tournament this year. Um, and I've pretty much done that, um, except for Lannisters. But when, um, so Carlo was doing an invitational tournament um, a couple of months ago, and it was, I hadn't played neutrals by that point, and I hadn't played Lannisters. So I was going to pick one of those. Um, and I just couldn't get any Lannister lists to work. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with neutrals. I hadn't done a lot of playtesting, but I thought, Slave Men, I know are very, very good, um, and Cutthroats, the improvements to them are really, really good. So what list can I come up with? And I came up with a Vargo list that I never played, and I came up with a Roost list that was basically two units of Cutthroats, uh, two played men, and then filling the rest of the points with NCUs. Um, and it did really, really well. Like, a lot better than I thought it would. Um, and it beat some incredibly good players. And a lot of the time, there was a bit of luck involved, but um, it felt, apart from that final game against Mickey and his free folk, like it could beat pretty much anything. Um, so yeah, I've been stress testing it since then. Um, I thought about what list could pair with it, and I found a Ramsey list that I quite like. Um, so it all sort of felt like that's what I wanted to bring to the Welsh GT as well. Um, and I'm really pleased that I did because um, one of my concerns was how is it going to compete over a long period of time against other people, and it. It's done really well. Um, I have to say the, the other inspiration is Steve, who's been absolutely ripping it apart with neutrals in the UK as well. And just seeing his list and how he's been doing it has inspired me to sort of get back on that bandwagon as well. Well, I, I think fortune favored the bold because uh, you did pretty darn well. So you finished second. And I'm just sitting here reviewing some of the data from this tournament. And here's a very... Funny little fact, uh, nobody destroyed more points than Tom Tyler. Uh, your final tally was 16, 17, 141 points destroyed. So this is a six-round event, meaning quick math, you destroyed 23.5 points per game. That's pretty impressive. Um, I run events where I did, like, John Double Hunters, and it was paired with, like, the Sworn Brothers uh, – meat grinder and i don't think i've ever averaged that many points destroyed so did you uh did you jump into like a a very aggressive play style let's uh let's look at your lists really quick um 
if you want to go ahead and they're your list so if you want to yeah go ahead and... i mean the, the list itself is aggressive like i think that you've got to play it aggressively because um if you sit back then it's going to be dominated and i think i think that's the thing with seven um activation lists like you can't you can't sit back at all and play conservatively. You've got to take those risks early on in each round in order to try and keep keep momentum going. Um, and the best way that you can do that is by picking the weaker units to kill so that you then get activation parity. So that's sort of the idea and the concept behind the two lists is um, use the flake men to um, mean that one of their weaker units is always going to be threatened and then charge in and potentially use issue commands as well in order to mop up that weaker unit. And then once you've got activation parity, that's when it becomes a much fairer fight and you can start bringing in um, your cutthroats and your blackguards to to sort of um, fight, fight as well. So... Um, yeah, um, and also because it's quite a fragile list, like you, you, you've just got to be—it's—it's it's got to be in combat. It's got to be fighting a lot. So um, I'm not surprised that it killed as many points as it did, because I think that's that's really the only way that you can win those sort of those sort of matchups. So I see you've got. Um... Ruth is into you. I think that's I think that's fairly obvious when you're running Ramsey. Uh, Peter Baelish and Varys, and looks like you've got Varys in both of your lists and Peter Baelish in both of your lists. Again, that's that's not overly surprising because I think your at this point your only options for four point NCUs are Ruth, Peter, and Walder. Correct? Yeah, and Walder just. I, I've never been able to get Walder to work because I think he only works if you're playing against two NCUs. And in the UK, that's almost unheard of. So Walder's out to begin with. Jackson is a five points and he doesn't do much um, unless you're up against somebody else who's got a strong NCU and that always feels like a bit of a, a risk. So you've got to discount him. So you're, the, the four NCUs that you basically take are Baelish, who's an auto-include, in my opinion, because he's four points and he's very, very good. Varys, Taisho, and then Roost, if you're not running Roost Commander. So the NCUs almost picked themselves. Um, the only thing I wasn't sure about going into it was whether Varys or Taisho were better. Um, but I quite like the combination of Baelish, where you can claim another zone and gain money bags. And then still leave it open so if your opponent claims it, then you get an extra two wounds as well. So over the course of the game, you're usually healing eight wounds as opposed to Taisho's five, albeit not in a continuous blast. So I think you've got you've got more play overall, provided you're never in a situation where um, you need you need that burst. Um, but that's where cool methods from Ramsey came in and there were a couple of games where that card basically did what Taisho did and really saved me um, from getting a unit a unit wiped. Right, and it's a it's a very powerful card. And when you've got when you've got Ruse helping put out the panic tokens, 
uh, and when you have the ability to, as you mentioned, um, play a zone and then potentially play it twice with uh, Littlefinger, I could see, you know, using the letters potentially to double tap for a panic token uh, in a later game where the letters aren't necessarily prominent. I think Varus is possibly an underused MCU personally. Um, it can just be hard to put him in because even at five points, Tyco is still so incredibly good. He's now gone from the NCU that was in every list to an NCU that you kind of just hate to see across the table because that five-point emergency healing is still very, very strong. But I, I like that you chose Varus here in this list instead of Tycho um, just for the uh, ability to be able to talk about Varus and what his impact was because I just don't see Varus used very often outside neutrals, maybe an occasional Lannister build. And I just think that he's still very, very strong. So what would you make from him after playing all of these games with him? Is it just the healing or did you get a, a lot of mileage out of the hits from the swords? Um, it's his versatility. So um, definitely my game against Steve, if I didn't have Varus, I wouldn't have beaten him because... He killed Ramsey Commander with the swords, um, even though he had one win left. And I was able to use a Varus token and kill his unit of blade men. And um, if he, if I hadn't been able to do that, um, then he would have been able to sit on the tokens and and win it. So essentially, what what happened was he we were playing um, Clash of Kings. He had his LR Commander on one token on the far end. I had my unit of Blackguard on the other. There were no way they were going to meet. Um, I The tactics board was still fairly empty at that stage, um, and Ramsey had the um, highest attack dive value card, because um, he'd already activated. Um, and so what I was able to do was put Baelish on the money bag to claim the swords, which whittled him down to one wound, and then when he attacked, um, he had to go on the sword or the crown in order to attack me to the other soul quarters. Um, and crown would have been fine because Ramsey would have, um, would have been able to crown back him through the card, or what he ended up doing was going for the swords. And as I say, even though that year of Flayman wiped Ramsey out, um, the fact that Harris was then able to do the three hits and one of them went through um, meant that we were just going to score one point each turn and that was going to give me the victory so um he was mainly there for the heel but occasionally he has a lot of versatility from swords from the crown or even sometimes that shift can be really good in terms of getting out of range or um being out of position so um i think i think all of his abilities are good the only one i didn't use was the draw tactics card one um but otherwise, yeah, I think he's I think he's got play in any of the events at certain situations. Okay, and um, how about into the season one update? Obviously, we saw quite a few things change going from the initial 2021 and then to the season one. Do you think some of the changes, like maybe some of the uh, core rulebook changes, as far as commanders not scoring double and any of these? changes do you view them as helping the neutrals do you feel better about neutrals in this version than you did in 2021 or is it more or less that instead of 
you know, instead of the Othel matchup being next to impossible, it's the, the Free Folk Man matchup kind of the replacement there where it's just a hill that's too tall for neutrals to climb. Um, so overall, I think I just I think the matchups are a lot better now. Um, but I think range always used to be a massive problem for neutrals because we, we we have stormcrow archers, but we we never had a really good ranged unit. So if you were facing a lot of range, it's always going to be a problem. Um, and also crossbows were the main example of that. What I don't quite understand about the new meta is that it's not just off of crossbows that have gone now. Like, you very rarely see Dothraki Outriders, for example, that I've always considered to be a good unit. Um, even Lightbringers, despite going in, down in points, don't seem to be any more popular than they used to. Um, so whatever the reasons for that meta change, I think it, it's helped neutrals because you can now run cutthroats a lot more easily without wor- worrying about them getting blown up before they've even reached combat. Right. Um, and then on the Mance thing, I think that nine activation Mance build is difficult to beat if you're playing against a really, really good player. But I think it's a lot easier to make a Mance player make a mistake than it was against Ottawa. Like, in the previous edition, I felt like even if you weren't playing somebody who knew particularly what they were doing, that offer bill was still going to beat you. Whereas now, like, bar probably Jacob and Mickey, who, you know, are the two best free folk players around, I feel like I could beat most ants lists with, 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 with that neutral build. Um, and I did play um, one month's list, which was albeit an A activation. Um, and it did very well against that. Um, and then I played a steer list, um, but he'd also run Mance, and he said to me after the game that he felt like the Mance list just wouldn't have worked against the amount of panic that Nucleus can dish out. So um, overall, I think I think it's fairly balanced. I think there's just you know, one or two players who are just absolutely outstanding at playing free folk, and that's when it becomes really really difficult and i i don't know what i would do to beat them to be honest but i think that's mainly because they're just better players than me and it would probably be the same no matter what faction they were running so um yeah i think i think it's just one of those things that at some point you will always meet somebody who's playing that powerful faction and can play it as well as as anybody else and when that happens you just got to hold your hands up and say they're a better player and and they beat me because they're a better player. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, it was just uh, just interesting. I was thinking um, that, that maybe the maybe the changes in the meta had uh, had seen neutrals get not necessarily that they got a little bit better because I don't. They got a direct buff in cutthroats and. So they got Anything? they got better with cutthroats and then but Taisha got worse, um, right. which is making this building a bit harder, I'd say. Awkward. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it makes it more one-dimensional probably in the end because 
you go for your double blade minute and you don't have much many points left over. Um, but I think it's helped in a funny sort of way because people just don't run Taisha anymore. So that ability to do a little bit of damage and then um, be able to kill a unit once a round has, in, has increased. Um, I think that's I think that's really helped neutrals ultimately. It's made it's made cards like issue commands a lot better because what used to happen is you charge in, do quite a bit of damage, and then they tie show, and you're back to square one even if you had issue commands. Whereas now you go in, you do quite a lot of damage. They don't have the ability to heal because the tactics board's been used up, and then mm. you play issue commands after that and that's when you kill that unit. So it's small things like that, I think, probably have helped a little bit um, that maybe people haven't quite appreciated. Um, yeah, I think... There's, no, there's nothing significant about the list that's changed. So I was giving this some thought, you know, prior to this podcast, and I was just thinking... Uh, I had been having a conversation with Mickey, and we talked about how... The meta now is, I mean, it's obviously not the same because the game's in a much better place. The game's much more balanced. But in some ways, this the, the meta now functions kind of similar-ish to how you played 1.6, particularly with Starks and Folk. Uh, it was the out-activate, wait, 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 alpha strike, try to get a first turn, last turn, wipe out a unit, uh, increase your activation advantage and then just kind of roll over it's not necessarily something that works now as well as it did in 1.6 because you don't have things like five point stark sworn swords that are capable of wiping an entire unit Um, that type of thing is you've got like the chariot that can do massive damage with there's too many but that's requiring the resource of a card it's not generally like you want I don't you'd have one chariot run over an entire army. And furthermore, the chariot's not 12 wounds like a unit of Stark Sworn Swords was. But uh, overall, I was giving that some thought as well, and then just kind of thinking, in, in this version of the game, there's not a whole lot of trick plays, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that they set out to do in, in the 2020 landscape was to eliminate some of the, uh, Michael Chanel called them, gotcha plays. Uh, there's not too terribly many of them. Like, you have Final Strike, you know that it's but it can kind of come, the timing when it comes is a bit of a surprise. Um, and then you've got things like Lash Out and, of course, Assault Orders, but it requires a zone. You can pretty well plan for that. Um, would you consider Issue Commands one of those, like one of the very few, I, I won't call it a trick play per se, it's, it's one of the few tricky-ish plays that exist, right? It's, it's, it's a card that exists where you can kind of get over on your opponent, maybe pull something unexpected. They, of course, a good players. You're going to know that that card exists, but you can still kind of catch them off guard with it. Did, did you find that to be the case when you were playing in this event? Were you able to catch people off guard by doing that? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. There were a couple of occasions where either they knew that I might have it but they had to take the risk or um, where they just didn't know the, the neutral deck 
as well as um, some people might. And so, yeah, they were definitely caught off guard. I think, I think the thing about issue commands is as well is that you can then push your side main cavalry up even if you don't have it on. There's that worry that they've got until you activate your neutral commander that you might have it. So they always keep their units um, a bit further back. So it's usually out of charge range, which then means that it's out of charge range for them as, as well. So often what I'll do is I'll activate my flame men really early, um, push them up, make sure that they're within 12 and make sure that my opponent's seeing that I'm measuring it. Because um, even then, if I don't have issue commands, it really affects how they play and the threat that they're going to make. And if I can create that illusion that I might have it, um, mm -hmm. then it usually means that the flayed men can get that charge in first. Um, and very often, even if when a unit of flayed men charges in, even if it doesn't kill a unit, it usually does enough damage to bring it down to its last rank. Um, which means that it's not then going to do much damage to you when it hits you, hits you back in return. So um, it's got it's got a lot of utility issue commands, and yeah, I think it either it catches players out or it makes people second guess themselves, and they don't then play optimally because they're worried about the consequences of that card. Right, and that's that's the big thing, you know. Um... A lot of times, knowledge in this game is power, right? A lot of times, knowing every card that your opponent has in every scenario is to your advantage. But it's probably going to sound weird saying this, but sometimes I find matches against more casual, less experienced players, um, in some ways, can be a little bit scary, right? Because they... They don't study the game. They don't know every single card that you do. They don't know every scenario. And sometimes they, you, you try to do those bluffs, and either they just don't get it or they don't care. And it can kind of throw you off a little bit, actually. Like, um, you know, you, you, you set something up like that with that threat, and whether they're oblivious to it again or if they don't care, they just they don't adjust the way they're playing the game, which is kind of what you halfway expect them to do, because I think controlling them in the way that they're playing by setting up those bluffs is a very strong thing that you can do in this game. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's trying to get your opponent to think you've got something that you have, haven't, or that you have got something that you, or you say you haven't got something that you have. And I think, yeah, if you, as soon as you can get your opponent to start second-guessing themselves, that's when they're going to make mistakes. So cards like that are are really powerful. It's, just, it's the same with Flame Men has no secrets. Like mm -hmm. just that ability to have a token on means that they might not use a tie shot, they might not use a tie win because they're worried that you've got that card and therefore you're going to cancel it. Um, and yeah. most of the time, then it doesn't matter if you've got it or not because all you need is that condition token because they don't want to feel like they're wasting that um, yep. for, for absolutely no reason. So, yeah, we've got we've got a few cards like that that I think are really useful for people, even if they know the deck, maybe overthinking sometimes, um, and that's where you see you see mistakes happen. So. 
Circling back to this topic while we're still sitting here looking at your lists, you've got double played men in both of your lists. Um, yeah. How do you feel about flayed men currently in this season one? So obviously flayed men and Tycho were in a lot of lists. They were the first 12 points in every list. Uh, and in fact, it take them. your first 12 points were a unit of flayed men and Tycho. It was just the way that it was in 2021 when it, when it initially dropped. Uh, currently you don't, you don't really see Flaidman as much as you used to. Now, some of that could be that Knights Castle Rock, Tilly Cav, and um, Champions of the Stag all received some buffs. Um, but how do you feel about Flaidman, this version? Do you think that maybe they've they finally found their happy place? Are they finally <laughs> have they finally found that perfect little spot where they're good and worth eight points, but they're not so good that they overtake the meta because that's, that seems to be the dance we've had with Slademan. They were either way too good and they were everywhere or they were just terrible ish and neutrals then suffered the most uh, looking back. Yeah. At the, at the I mean, I always there. felt like, and, and I know it's neutral bias, but I always felt like Slademan were fairly costed because you're sacrificing activations for Blademen, and therefore they need to be demonstrably better than a five or a six point unit in order to, to justify those, that increase in cost. So I always felt like they were okay for the points, um, but what was lacking was that other in-house options of heavy cavalry just weren't particularly good. Um, and now I think they've got the balance right because you've got champions of the stag, which are very, very good. You've got Tele Cavaliers that are very, very good. You've got Knights of Cassidy Rock that are very good. I don't know if I'd say that we're on the same level. Um, and usually if I'm running Starks or Lannisters or even Brathians, I probably want to take one of both rather than like two flayed men or even two of the in-house options because I think it just gives you more flexibility. So especially mm-hmm. with Starks and it feels like your flayed men units more your anvils so it can grind in combat and then once you've held down that unit that's when your cavaliers, your nice cavalry rock come in as your finishers to do the, the final lot of damage. Um, mm-hmm. And it's probably the opposite for Baratheons in a funny sort of way. Champions of the Stag by your anvil, and then slave men the ones that are coming in to do that final bit of damage. But um, it's the same, it's the same sort of principle. But actually, taking taking both is better than taking two of one unit. Um, and obviously, neutrals just we don't have that option. You you've got one unit of heavy cavalry. You've got hedge knights, which are all right, but they just don't have the same damage output that they do. So if you can if you can find that point, that's what that's what we're gonna what we're gonna pick. And it also they also synergize a lot better with the neutral commander decks as well. Like um especially Ramsey. He needs he needs neutral he needs Bolton units in it to make to make his his deck thing, so it doesn't make sense to bring anything other than Blade Man or other Bolton units. Yeah, I, I would agree 100% there. Um, 
and it's kind of the same for Bruce. I think the boldness that you have, the better. So, um, no bastards girls in either list. Was that? Um, I think that's more or less what you hope to accomplish with this list, right? Um, you you're wanting to send the flayed men in and then do your issue commands or whatever have you to get rid of units to give the uh, to take away some of the activation advantage your opponent probably has. That way you can bring your kind of cavalry in, which ironically the cavalry in your list isn't actually the cavalry. But uh, um, is that is that why there was the choice not to take Bastards Girls? I, because Bastards Girls also work really well with issue commands. Um, but I think they're probably just a little bit too glass cannony for what you want to accomplish, right? Yeah, I, I still I still can't get my head around why Bastards Girls. Like, in 1.6, I loved them. They were absolutely fantastic. And the strange thing is they actually got better in mm-hmm. 2021. Um, and yet they feel a lot worse. Um, I, I think it's a combination of things. Like, certainly if you're playing Free Folk and they've got two units of trappers, like, it just feels bad because you're taking... Eight, eight hits from doing the charge and volley, um, oh. which is probably going to take them down to almost that final rank. Um, oh. And there's a lot of things that can just turn off that order now. So you'll sh- shift in, expecting to be able to auto charge, and then you'll say, right, I'm declaring, I'm declaring this bar and volley, and they'll go, no, the tactics card or whatever, and then you're they're sort of just left in they're left in no man's land, and then they can get charged and and killed. So they just don't they don't quite do it against a lot of the high power things. Like I still think they're a good unit, but I don't think they I think they've got too many bad matchups. Whereas Blade Men are just consistently good against nearly everything. Um, and that's why I prefer Flayed Men. And I'll find those extra two points to bring double Flayed Men rather than try and downgrade one to a, a unit of Bastard Girls or something like that. Yep. And and I, I'm in line with you. And I think I think I'll, I'll chirp in a little bit and give my take on why Bastard Girls aren't so great this version. Um, it is the auto hit. This is kind of an auto hitty kind of meta. Uh, you've got hidden traps. You've got things like Hope Line. You've got cards that uh, deal auto hits. There's a lot of ways to do auto hits. Then there's also volume of hits in things like Ranger Hunters. But I think for me, overall, like the biggest thing is that, yes, they scale panic damage back to D3 instead of D3 plus one. But what they also did is I feel like now they, in order to kind of balance changing panic damage to just the D3, they added a whole lot more modifiers, it seems, um, intimidating presence being one of them. Um, and at that point, when you're doing consistently taking panic tests at negative three, negative four, and then it becomes D3 plus one, D3 plus two, uh, D3 plus three, things like this, um, once those panic tests get pushed into the eight and nine realm where you need an eight or a nine to pass, and Warcry is so, so popular right now, Eight or nines aren't impossible to pass, but they're they're almost impossible, right? 
So in 1.6, you didn't have as much war cry. You didn't have intimidating presence and things like that. So the Bastards girls could actually kind of depend on that 5-plus morale to keep them alive. But now they not only suffer from every hit almost being a wound, but they also suffer from their pain. Their morale just isn't enough to make them survivable against the types of panic bombs that you have. And it's really simple to get them caught in and they just explode to a panic test. That's my opinion on why a seven-point unit with six-plus defense just, I just don't think it's going to cut it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. There's just too many things that can, that can kill them now, and they can't. They can't one-shot something. So they ultimately yep. just, they don't, they don't have that size. Yep, and it's it's weird. It's weird when a five-plus morale it just isn't that good anymore, right? I think in 1.6, five-plus morale was pretty well coveted, um, and it could work, but you just, again, back back then, it was a lot of things like the vanilla Stark attacks adding a ton of vulnerable tokens, which that version of the game, you kind of felt like armor meant nothing, and I think in this game, a high save actually does mean something because it just feels like whether you're a six morale or a five morale, and when they want you to fail, you're going to fail because they're going to war cry you and they're going to drop a shit ton of modifiers on you and you're going to fail anyway. So you might as well buy into the higher armor, right? Yeah, and Cruel, 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 cruel Methods is a classic example of or old Cruel Methods of where it was really good having a five-plus morale because you, you do your free attack, faster girls with a, a shooting volley, and then you take that panic test at a minus two. But it was always... I feel more confident than not that I'm going to pass it, whereas on cutthroats or third hand or something, you are then going to lose wounds on it. So that 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 morale really made a difference. Whereas now you're right, it's it's just too many things that can mean that it's going to be an, a a more likely than not that you're going to fail at type situation yeah. than that. And that's okay. bad for such a fragile unit. Yep, and I'll just take the opportunity to do a little dunk on Warcry. I, I hate Warcry. <laughs> I really do. And it's, uh, they, they seem to have just, I think pretty much everybody has access to it except for neutrals. Uh, Weirdly, special for, for neutrals, I love Warcry because of adaptive methods. Like, it's really difficult to get condition tokens out. Um, yeah, adaptive lets you actually take the condition tokens that your opponent's giving you, and yeah. then put it on. Like there are a couple of times where, right now, I'm going to walk around and say, right, I'm going to play adaptive methods as well. Um, so those two tokens that you're going to put onto me, I'm going to cancel both of them. I'm going to move either a vulnerable or a panic token to onto you. So yeah, <laughs> neutrals. Like it is, it is, it is under costed ability, but don't mind it when I'm playing neutrals just to see if I got it because I know I've got I know I've got a card that can actually <laughs> make feel bad for using it. So that's always quite fun. Fair enough, yeah. And I think I think maybe to some extent the Baratheons who also don't have Warcry available to them, right? They've got marked Taking tokens out, um, it's bracing conviction, isn't it? That's just absolutely insane. For, um, <laughs> yeah, 
Baratheon Justice does them as well. Baratheon Justice's war cry that you don't have to roll for, and they just kind of get punished with two tokens, and then Stag's Wit, you can kind of move around. But yeah. Um, okay, fair enough on, on, on war cry. I still hate it, but <laughs> it's good that, uh, you know, if we see an all-neutral meta or a neutrals meta of sorts where there's some neutral, maybe it will make people think about Warcry spam, but it probably won't because Warcry is still just ridiculously, obscenely good. Um, okay, so now, um, would you want to run through your six matches and just kind of say what faction they were and maybe what you remember of their list? Yeah, sure. So um, my first game was against someone called Aaron, um, who I played at the last London GT. Um, and I brought a Drogo list, and he brought um, a Roost Lannister list that I thought was very strong. And I remember him absolutely slaughtering me. So um, I was a little bit worried because I knew that he was a good player. Um, and his lists weren't what I would call meta. They were slightly different. So... He had a more or less classic Drogo list with bets, but it um, it was his Grey Worm list that he ended up running, and it was essentially two units of bets with Glory Seeker, um, Jura, and then Grey Worm in Pikeman, and then um, MCU's. Um, trying to remember what they were now, but um, Illyrio, Danny, and Peter. I've got his list pulled up here. Yeah. Um, so I've gone into the tournament thinking, Roos is my best list. I'm going to run him nearly all of the time. And um, for this one, I went Ramsey because I knew that his vets could absolutely one-shot a Uno cutthroats. Um, and that would then just be through two years of played men, and it wasn't going to work. So um, had Dance of Dragons. I was quite happy with my setup. So I had a unit of blackguards um, at the far end to um, claim one of the objectives, and then my Ramsey and the flavor were going to fight over the central objective. Um, and he went with his deployment on completely the other side. Um, and he ended up putting Grey Worm on the objective on the far side, which I was really pleased with because it meant that Grey Worm was going to be out of the fight and it was basically going to be two units of Blade Men um, and my unit of Cuts Rose against his two units of Vets and um, Jora. Um, and there were a couple of dicey moments where he, because of the double tap that Vetskin gave, he almost killed the Blade Men, um, but a combination of, you know, just rolling what I needed to roll and then healing them back up with cruel methods meant that um, I was okay. So at the beginning of round three, we basically exchanged the unit of flayed men for a unit of his vets, which meant that he couldn't then do the double heal. Um, and then he tried to one-shot the flayed men. Didn't work for him because I think I had worth the risk or another card that saved them. Um, and then I was able to heal up and kill that unit of 
bets. And then it was basically game over because he had Jura trying to take the token of the Blade Man um, and um, my Baggard, who won the token. Um, and by the time the Blade Man killed Jura, it was basically, I'm going to hold these two points, you're going to hold those. Um, and, um, and that was it. So got a little bit lucky on occasion, but overall I was, I was happy with how I played because I know Aaron's a good player. Um, and then uh, my next game was against a guy called Gregors who was running um, Mance, and he's he's a really, really lovely bloke. Um, I've spoken to him a couple of times at the DT, but we've never actually got to play before, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Um, but the reason why I wasn't as worried about his match list was because it was eight activations rather than rather than nine. Um, so it meant that he wasn't out. He was out activating me, but not by that much. So I was able to wait with Blade Man um, just that little bit longer before making the move. Um, and quite early on, I was able to kill his Harmer in uh, Follow the Bone, I think, because they went a bit too far away from Mance. Um, and I had issue commands from memory. But as soon as I was able to get activation parity um, and stop him using Endless Horde, like, it was it was quite easy to start mopping, mopping everything else up. And I think maybe he could have positioned Matt a little bit better in order to keep that bubble going. But, but overall, I think he was just unlucky that he didn't throw Endless Horde early on and I was able to I was able to get that quick kill because with free folk once they go to activation parity it's actually really difficult for them to to get back on top again. So um yeah it's a combination of killing something early and him not having end of And then uh, my final game of day one was against Jacob. Um, who was the overall winner, um, and that was, I knew I always knew that was going to be difficult. It was far and blood, so I knew I had to attack him because otherwise he was just going to sit back and not do anything. And I knew that I had to attack him early because what I didn't want to do was attack him when he had eleven activations as opposed to to nine. Um, and he won the roll off for deployment, so he was able to pretty much see where everything was before he started putting his units down. Then he won the roll off for um, who went first. He had endless all in his hands, of course, he went first. Um, so straight off the bat, slightly a 10 activation list. Um, and yeah, I took a gamble, went for it on Mance. Almost killed Mance, but then he played regroup and reform straight away after that. Um, and then all of his units swept down, and the unit played men who tried to kill him. Um, and pretty much after that, it was it was game over. Like I was able to kill a couple of units, um, and he was able to pretty much dismantle the rest of my my army. Um, and yeah, so I think I did make mistakes, but I think they were after the unit of Blade Men had 
<laughs> died that I was just annoyed and the only way that I was gonna win was by trying those like long long charges and just and just seeing what happened. Um so yeah, I need I need I need to go back and need to think about what what I can do differently against those sort of lists. Like I know in the back of my mind what I need to do, but it's trying to do it quickly in order to stop stop endless horde. Um because the the idea is you find your two you find your weak point in the free throat lines and that's where you put your two units of save men. It feels like you've got a lot of clock pressure to do it quickly because you don't want to draw endless horde before um before you've killed a unit. Um so yeah, that was that was the end of that. But um two and one at the end of day one. So I was pretty happy with that because I set myself a target of going to three and three. Um I thought that was realistic with the quality of affairs, but um I wasn't gonna do much much more than that to be honest. Uh and then my next game was against Steve who um I don't know how much he's known in America, but in the UK he's known for bringing really, really bad factions and quite janky lists, but doing outstandingly well with them. So he bought a six activation Eddard list, um, which was basically just every unit has rally cry, <laughs> um, and Catlin and Sansa. So uh yeah i've never played Steve before um so i was slightly worried like i knew what i had to do in principle but i also knew that he was a really really good player um and so i i got lucky to begin with the tactics card so i had I had issue commands in my hand i had funny insight and i had um blades are sharp um and so at the end of round two, um, I knew I was going to, because I was going to activate him, I knew I had two activations left and then another activation at the start of round three. Um, so I basically just waited um, until he had activated all of his units and he needed to put one um, in a vulnerable position. And then um, I did issue commands on one slave man unit and they charged in and I charged the other slave man unit in as well. Um, and I wasn't actually expecting to kill him off those. I was expecting that I would have to then kill him at the start of round three. Um, but they, they, they did amazing work and they killed him. And in a funny sort of way that put me in a really weird position because I didn't then know what to do at the start of my next round. So I ended up flank charging um, one of his units of slave men with mine and not doing enough damage. And that put me in a really bad position because what he was able to do was he was able to kill one of my slave men units at the end of round three. And then my second slave men unit at the end of round, beginning of round four. Um, so at that point, it was looking really bad because he has two units of cab, he has Eddard, and I've just got Ramsey and a unit of Blackguard who are on a token a million miles away from doing everything. Um, so 
the first thing that I do is Ramsey kills because of the way when I was able to get Ramsey to charge in to his, you know, slave men, um, the Flash King, so they're attacking, thundering, um, 10 dice for the planning insight, and they killed that unit of slave men. Um, and then, so he's still got one unit of slave men, and he's going to charge those into Ramsey, um, and Horrific Visage then does really well on the first hit um, with another planning of insight that I managed to draw. Um, so we're sort of slugging it out, and that's this is the point where um, Varus really comes into it. So Ramsey's already activated, his unit of played men have already activated, the tactical sports free, um, or pretty much free. Um, and I've got Baelish and the crowns, the money bags, and the swords are all open. Um, I've got one more into you and he's got cat. So I go Baelish onto the money bags and I attack him and I bring him down to one wound and then he's got to attack me. So he attacks me with so he, he attacks me with the swords, passes the visage test and um, wipes out the unit, but because of Varus he then has to take three hits and that's when um, his unit of flavemen die and because I'm ahead on points at that point because Ramsey's killed a unit and his Eddard unit hasn't um, and we've got two people on the tokens sort of there's no way for him him to come back so I get a, a very narrow win against him which um, is really good oh I forgot I forgot about my um, game against the league sorry um, in round four um, where we play Feast the Crows um, and yeah it's just Fademan being able to target um, his, his weaker units. So they go after um, the faithful first. Again, issue commands means that I kill that unit really, really quickly. Um, he, the mistake I made was final strike, um, where he killed five units, but I was able to use Taisho just to bring them straight back, um, which is good. And then um, I spent a bit of time killing his Queensmen, but everything else that he's got is sort of out of the way. So even though it takes me a while, I'm able to do it. Um, and then once I've done that, it's just a question of time before they mop up the role of faithful and um, get enough points to win. And then my final game was a game called against Adam Harbinson, who was also bringing uh, free folk. Um, and he had a manse and a steer list. Um, and I was really surprised he bought Steer because uh, Game of Thrones, I feel like you need as many units on the board as possible, but he did. Um, and I think I think he just didn't know how to play against flayed men. So he, he was very aggressive with one unit of them, but the rest of them he held back, which meant that the flayed men were able to pick them off. Um, and then I've got activation advantage against him. He never draws Endless Horde until right at the end, by which time it's too late. Um, and the Flavemen are just able to go to town, like with precision, killing Mag. Um, I got a little bit lucky at one point where he tried to kill Ramsey, and he was down to one wound. Um, and then I drew Cruel Methods 
at the start of the next round, I was able to play it to keep him up and kill a unit. But yeah, I think I think he just didn't quite know how to how to play against against a neutral list because it felt like he was he was trying to pressure me too much. Whereas if he sat back a little bit more, um, he'd be able to win. So yeah, overall um, five five victories, um, one loss, but um, six really great games um, against some fantastic opponents. Oh, good for you. No, that's <laughs> it's really awesome. Um, now, genuinely, I'm I'm impressed. Um, <clears throat> again, by looking at the stats numbers, you can see that the the average rating was pretty high. So, uh, some of the guys looking at at the you know the list of participants, I know some of these people um, played them, watched them play. This it, it wasn't like you went and you know crushed a bunch of bunch of noobs with neutrals uh it's a really impressive performance um and even even if it was like an person event and they were quote unquote considered average it's what doing as well as you did with neutrals is never going to be easy it, it demonstrates that you had a solid plan solid list building and you it sounds like from from hearing you you kind of had a plan for each game and you stuck to it which is something that's really important because i think and myself included here, some people go into a game with a plan and then when something goes wrong, you kind of start to deviate from your plan and then you get yourself into trouble. And it's kind of unnecessary trouble. So uh, it's it's really good to hear that you did so well with them. Um, I think we touched on enough of the little side topics that came up. Um, kind of some cool little tidbits in there to get your take on Bastard Girls. Uh, the the occurrence of flayed men around the meta, um, Varus being obviously a good tool. Um, I'm definitely going to have to give him a try. For the for the factions that I play, though, he's a pretty strong contender with some other five pointers. Uh, with Night's Watch, he's competing with Sam and Gilly in the same spot. Couple in EU, and then Tycho, of course. So it's a it's a really tough call, but I I do quite like Varus, and I think he, similar to Flayed Men, is, is actually in a pretty fair spot where he's yeah. every, but but when he does show up he's he's impactful and he's very good for his five points so um yeah i was going to ask you a little bit about the meta but i think i think for the most part we covered it i mean free folk are powerful um and borderline abusive but it, it definitely takes a good player to pilot them well and do well with them, right? You 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 don't just show up with a man's list and automatically win, per se. You've yeah. Gotta um, I know. I know from playing man's like, and you know, I, I play I, at one point. I played free folk quite a lot, so I, I'd like to think I know them fairly well. But I've run lists that are very similar to like those top man's builds that Mickey and Jacob run um, and actually they're really difficult to play a lot of the time um, just because as soon as you lose something like it really does feel like everything's spiraling out of control mm-hmm. uh, um, especially against Night's Watch and Targs like I've been on the receiving ends of some 
fairly brutal brutal losses for playing man. So yeah, he is he is undoubtedly really, really strong. Like all his free tactics cards are strong. All of the all of their cards when played well have got like really good impact. But equally I think it's I think it's because Mickey and Jacob are also just really, really good good players. Um and Jacob in particular like I've played him quite a few times when he's not running free throw, like he's been running starts or, or Lannisters, and he's either beaten me or given me a really close game when he had absolutely no business to do so, given that I was running a stronger commander or stronger faction than than he was. So um, I think they're just those sort of players that, play free folk, but if they play something else, people will be complaining that they're strong because it's it's the player that's making them strong as much as it is it is the faction. So you didn't uh you didn't actually run into Night's Watch. Do you feel do you feel like your lists had a good chance against Night's Watch? I think Night's Watch are largely considered up there as as the more powerful. I think there's very little debate that free folk Maybe Baratheon, Targaryen, Watch are, are probably your top four. You you could maybe make a case for Lannisters being up there with some of their new releases, but at any rate, um, you didn't run Night's Watch. Do you feel like you would have had a good chance against them? Because I, I as a Night's Watch player, I would be really afraid of double statement with the prospect of issue commands. Um, against the yeah. unit like ranger hunters and even sworn brothers like it only takes the one failed panic test and then the second the follow-up attack with a flayedman unit you could die pretty yes yeah, so I, I i didn't play anyone in this tournament but i have played a couple of players so i played like chris eustace who mm-hmm. um talked shit about me the whole time but you know <laughs> he's he is occasionally quite a good player um and I've beat I've beaten him with neutrals. Um I played another guy called Anbone um recently and he was running a you know, a fairly standard John double ranger hunters mm-hmm. list and um, Ramsey yeah. did Ramsey did well against him. So yeah, I mean I, I again I think it's I think with Targs, Knights Watch and Man and it's it's the same as what I've been saying about Mickey and Jacob. If you play somebody who's, you know, top 20 in the world and they're bringing one of those really, really strong lists, you're going to struggle and you're probably not going to win it. But against against most players at a tournament, I'd like to think that I'd either give them a very good game or um, I'd be able to pull off, pull off a victory just because I don't... Night's Watch, I feel Night's Watch is still really strong, probably still the strongest faction, but they they struggle a surprisingly large amount into things like control, or mm-hmm. once the tactics board has been used up, as you say, if you can double tap something, like with Blade Men, they're going to melt as much as anything else, and the Night's Watch activations is... It's a bit 
it's not like free folk activations where you've got so many wounds. Like with Night's Watch, as soon as you kill a unit, that is so difficult to come. It's so difficult mm-hmm. to come from that. Um, yeah. so, okay, try and target ghosts to bring them down, try and target gold hands, and then that's when you go after that unit of Ranger Hunters or, or Swarm Brothers that have got the Watch Captain in. And once that dies, that's two activations that they, they've lost. So even if you're trading unit of Blade Men for that unit of Swarm Brothers, it's mm-hmm. so worth it because you've then got activation parity. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's not. It's, it's definitely not an easy matchup. I think it's a it's a fairish fight, um, and it will usually come down to player skill rather than rather than faction. I mean, I mean, I totally agree. And when when we did the small council show discussing some of the top meta lists, I actually brought up almost exactly what you said. Uh, the Night's Watch eight activation slash nine. A little bit of a lie because they're activations with quote marks. Um, yes. Generally, those lists, if you're running the nine activation variant, I think you normally have 40 wounds on the table. A lot of the eight activation lists, you'll see 52. Cold Hands and Ghosts each have four. I'm going to say 52. You know, it would be, no, that's that's not true. It would be, it would still be 40, right? You're, you'd be like, Hunters, something with a watch captain, maybe some trackers. You might see 44 there. So it's somewhere 40 to 44. And then yeah. you've got Aon and stuff. But it's it's not the Free Folk 66 that becomes 90 with Endless Horde, right? It's not a pissing contest between those two units. But that's, I mean, you just, you, you hit the nail on the head there with, with, uh, with uh, Night's Watch. If you get rid of one of the units with a watch captain they lose two activations there immediately and then from there it's it's a lot easier to kind of steamroll them that's they can alpha strike you they hit like a ton of bricks but i i honestly after facing mark's ramsey list at um at adepticon i feel like your performance here obviously happy for you cuz i know you and i've liked you but it it is a little bit of vindication for that matchup because you know i kind of told people that it was more difficult than what you would have thought and i think there was a little bit of eye rolling and kind of like scoffing like oh that i was just being polite but in all reality it it actually is scary when you've got those ramsey heels because when you put that unit there to get rid of the flayedman which obviously you have to get rid of the flayedman um that ramsey heel can be such a huge deal uh, bringing that unit back up to a fairly healthy margin. As you said, it's similar to a Tycho Bomb, right? And there's, as a Nightwatch player, there's not much that you can do about it. Because again, for now, I'll say that Nightwatch is pretty one-dimensional. They can attack, they can attack, they can attack, they can attack. <laughs> they heal a little bit with Amon, but like, if they can't kill you with attacks, they really only have one choice. We are trying, my lord. Try yeah, and usually that aim and you have because of because of the way that the three NC versus three NC matchup works. Like you're almost forced to use aim on earlier than you you'd want most of the time. Right, or you flip the NCU, which which um, 
you mentioned Chris Eustace. I've been following some of his lists and kind of talking to him via PM as well. He's He seems to be enjoying the two NCU Night's Watch, and I've run the two NCU version as well, and it, it does tend to – you give advantages, obviously, to three NCU, but they're – just as you mentioned, it gives you a little bit more, like, freedom with how you use AMA. And generally, you can take that four points and plug cold hands into the list or another watch captain, and your list seems to feel a little bit better as a result. Yeah. Um, but from my perspective, this is where Barris is quite nice because you then force Eamon to go onto the zone that you feel would be mm-hmm. the most important from your point of view for, for Barris. So assuming, assuming that he, has, he waits until... He puts, he puts him down because, yeah, he can, he can heal a wound or a couple of wounds for something if you put him on the sword, but then you're taking three hits to something else um, yeah. or, 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 or something like that, or you're doing a panic death or you're giving me as many heals as, as Aim is doing. So, like, yeah, I, it, I mean, obviously Aim is very, very good. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's, he's not, but I feel like neutrals and other factions have got tools to deal with it and I think the way that the board works now mm-hmm. is it it puts the onus on the Knights Watch player to use those NTUs quickly, especially if they're the one who are first player for that round because what you do, you don't really want to pass with an NCU unless you unless you have to. Right. It's, yeah. And and that point though. And that's the big thing when you've got the, the Night's Watch player where the, the kind of the combats have started and the Night's Watch player isn't going first in the next round. If you do that heavy damage and you're going first, you can wipe that unit before they can get their Amon bomb. And I think yeah. maybe that's where some of the frustration with playing Night's Watch probably comes from. Um, you get a unit like uh, the Sworn Brothers or the Hunters or something down to four wounds you're going first in the next round, you take the swords and now shield comes down and you don't kill that unit, then Amon stitches them back up and you feel like you feel like you lost your opportunity. But I, I completely agree. It, it can be a little frustrating, but I, I think Varys is a pretty solid counter to Amon, among other things. There are other things. Of course, Wildling, Wildling Diplomacy is likely to do as much or more than what Amon can heal. Um, Courtney Penrose on the Baratheon side, um, you can mark the zone that you don't want Amon to take and heal, almost certainly heal more than Amon heals. Um, so there's definitely some play to Amon, but um, I think I think your Ramsey list would, it, it, it would be a little bit dicey and, and maybe somewhat card dependent, but if you, I think if you were able to alpha strike and have an issue command second attack, I think you could with the double flayed men, you, it's just not something you see a lot. Um, you could definitely wipe one of those watch captain units pretty comfortably, and then it's it's pretty difficult after that. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But, but I definitely appreciate you taking some time today. It's really a, like a last-minute show, so I appreciate you responding right away being agreeable to do the show today. I ended up leaving work a little bit early, so I had some time to mess around with, and uh, I already <laughs> I already got my ass whooped by Michael today. I played uh, 
Mance with Double Savage Giants. I thought it would be fun. It was not fun. Uh, so Michael, so I didn't feel like playing TTS. I thought about doing a show to check on you guys over there, and I was very impressed with your performance. So I appreciate uh, you. Cheers, man. It's always it's always lovely to speak to you as well. So um, thanks thanks for having me on. Well, for everyone listening, I hope um, talking to Tom and hearing some of the the ways that he's playing this list and maybe with some of our theories about the meta, maybe we can uh, get some more people to give notes a try. I think we've done a pretty decent job of explaining some things that have made them maybe slightly better in the season one landscape. So I would love to see more people giving neutrals a shake and uh, maybe Tom can be some inspiration for that. So um, with that, do you have anything that you want to shout out, Tom? Any? Uh, only, only to say thanks very much to Luke um, and Kieran for organising the GT. It was a really fantastic event. I think Twenty was probably on the low side of what they were hoping for, but um, I think what most of us are hoping for is because it was such, it was such a good event that next year will be even bigger and we'll have more people, more people coming. So um, yeah, if anyone was on the fence this time around um, and they fit again, I'd say definitely, definitely come because it was really well organized and um, Luke is a, an, an absolutely lovely guy. So um, yeah, just, just a big shout out to them really. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, that's, they're, they're super nice guys, um, had some interactions with them um, here and there. And uh, yeah, I, I can only hope that, that the scene continues to grow over there. But, um, more than just the uh, London GT, which is going to be massive. Um, it would be awesome to see all of the little events become big events as, as the game grows. So uh, really good on you and good on those guys. And uh, the, the little tidbit with uh, Alistair and <laughs> a shout out for the GT was pretty awesome as well. So it did, yeah, not, no, go, did not go unnoticed. So, well, uh, congratulations again. Um, good on you for bucking the meta a little bit and doing so well. It's a testament to player skill, honestly. So very good for you. And uh, with that, I guess we can close out the show. Uh, I'm just gonna do this little outro thing we have now. Thanks, Tom. No worries, man. Good to speak to you. All right, see ya. still here. Why? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.